Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 99. Today in the show, we're taking a break from whitetails and instead are focusing on our favorite critter to chase during the spring, and that's turkeys. Alright, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. Today we're taking a break from our hardcore whitetail hunting focused episodes and instead focusing on another species that's incredibly popular with us deer hunters and that's turkeys. And you know the spring turkey season having been open across a lot of states over recent weeks and you know continuing to do so across most of the rest of the country in the next week or two it seemed that now was about as good a time as any to talk turkey. And I get a lot of emails and messages asking for us to talk about other species like turkeys more often, especially from guys or girls that maybe haven't tried turkey hunting yet but are interested. And, you know, how do you do that coming from a deer hunter's perspective? So that was kind of my idea for today. I thought we could, you know, share some of the things we've learned as turkey hunters, me and Dan, walk through some of our stories and kind of give a deer hunter's perspective on how to get started turkey hunting, and and kind of everything else falling under from there. But I don't know. I, I kind of needed a day like this, Dan, to just kick back and have a cold beverage and just talk turkeys. I know we had a BS episode two episodes ago, but I kind of feel like I need that again today. So, <laughs> so I'm going to try to do BS with a purpose today. That's kind of what I'm feeling. <laughs> well, that's good. Does that work for you? Is that okay? Yeah, everybody, everybody needs a little a BS sesh. Yeah, I just I just need to like I need to take some weight off the shoulders. I need to unwind and um what better way to do it than talk about turkey hunting, which for me opens up in less than a week. What about you? Okay. Uh youth season's going right now. But before we get into this, I want to tell you something real quick. Oh, please do. I was driving from work here. You know, I get off work and I come straight here and I I go down this uh blacktop and on my radio Guess what song comes on? I don't know if you're probably not into this kind of song, but the song uh, Mother by Danzing. Have you ever heard that song? No. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? It's like it's hard rock, heavy metal. Mother, tell your children not to hold my hand. That that song? (laughs) Now it rings a bell. Anyway, so that song got me thinking about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that I made when I got home for some reason. And so I got an awesome song in my head, and I got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in my belly. So I'm like jacked up, ready for this podcast. So you, wow. So we're both like, we're revving to go. (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, I'm, I'm jacked. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, these episodes are best when we're jacked and pumped up for them. Um, so I'm good. I'm glad that you're pumped. I'm a little bit like I'm coming off of like an adrenaline burst. And so mm-hmm. I'm like kind of on the, the hangover effect right now. So right. we'll um, we'll meet somewhere in the middle. Right. Sounds good. And if you if you start fading, man, just holler at me and I'll pick you up. And I'll carry you. Tag, tag, yeah. tag it out, Dan. Pick yep. it up. Pick it up. Yep. 
Oh, man. I guess I actually am glad you threw me off the turkeys there for a second because I should share why I'm a little exhausted today, um, which is some exciting news, which we'll talk about more. But last fall, I launched the Whitetail Q&A podcast as the secondary show I was running is a kind of a short form Q&A style show, which I'm sure most of you know about. Um, but just recently, I've announced, and you might have seen this already if you subscribe to the Whitetail Q&A podcast or if you follow us on social media and everything, but long story short, have decided to, excuse me, I've decided to burp right now, I have decided to, we are partnering with the guys at Drury Outdoors, Mark and Terry and Matt Drury, we are partnering to kind of revamp that Whitetail Q&A podcast, so we've renamed it, it's the 100% Wild Podcast, we are doing an audio version Continuing like we've done in the past, but adding Matt Drury as a co-host, and we're going to be bringing on Mark and Terry and other guys from the team as guests on the show, and then we're also producing a video version of that podcast um, and live broadcasting it when we record those. So today was the first live broadcast, so we had to go through all this stuff to get this thing up and running, and doing this live video version has been way more difficult than I think we thought there's been so many different technical difficulties and we've tested like a million things and trying to get my video set up to work and look good. It's just been like two headaches and a half. Um, so we had that first one today. It went okay. It, nothing, nothing broke, nothing like totally embarrassed us. So I guess that's a win. Um, so more details to come on that. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher just like you would have to any other podcast. And then you can watch the video version on the Drury YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, that's why I'm kind of burnt out because that all happened today. And now I'm just like, whoo, with all this, this live streaming that's being done right now. Cause I, I do a little bit of that myself. Wouldn't it be really embarrassing if you passed gas, like really loud and it <laughs> got broadcast to the entire world? Well, it's bound to happen. Yeah, it's gonna, it's bound to happen. That's true. Yeah. But I will say something. I, I worry that this live video stuff, which everyone's doing, which is cool. I like it, but it's getting, it's already getting almost kind of overwhelming just for me, like on my Facebook feed or everywhere else. And I wonder if it's just going to get to be too much. And then the noise is so heavy that then it's just, I don't, I don't know. Well, you're going to have that, especially with any new technology. I mean, that's why I do it. Cause it's new and people are excited about it, but just like anything, uh, there will be a plateau and uh, it will, you know, everybody will go back to, you know, things will settle, the dust will settle. But, you know, as far as technology is concerned, it's Moore's Law, right? Every 18 months. Something like that. Yeah. I agree. Um, it is getting crazy, though. My Facebook feed, I feel like, I don't know what you think about Facebook these days. It's just all videos now. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm getting kind of down on Facebook just a little bit personally because there's like so much video stuff and like it's mostly from people I don't even know and just random like viral videos that are posted on Facebook now and I'm just like I don't know I've been spending a lot more time like Instagram is where I'm still getting like some stuff that I'm actually interested in seeing yeah. while I feel like Facebook I mean Facebook's cool to stay up to date on like some of the websites I like to follow and some of the things like that but I don't really see like updates from people I really know or care about anymore Right. So for my personal Facebook feed, it's p pretty much just a place to post pictures of my kids for my family members. I don't really go on there. You know, my main my main focus on Facebook is obviously the blog and whatnot. And, you know, probably just like you as well. It, it blows my mind how much trash 
is on Facebook in my feed and how much trash people post, meaning, and, and I'll take it uh, a step farther. I, you know, the podcast that we do, uh, the company, let's say I do a, a, a podcast about products. Yep. They won't post my blog. Uh, the 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 post that sh- you know they just got done talking about their products they just got done talking about um, information that a consumer might want to know about their products they won't post that Facebook post on their feed but they will post some dumbass meme about <laughs> hey is it you know rutting and strutting it's turkey season you know of some like don't you know like some redneck with a case of beer you know they'll, they'll post something like that but they won't it blows my mind. You I don't understand. frustrated. Yeah, I'm frustrated. But just, you know, there's a lot of trash too. I mean, it's like oh, junk. Yeah. It's just junk. It, it's becoming overwhelming. Yeah, it, it's now it's more of like a how do we filter through all of this to find the few right. things that are interesting and valuable. Speaking, speaking of interesting and valuable things I found on Facebook, did you see the picture I found of you? That I was kind of funny. I it found looked- this news article with a picture of a guy sitting at like a Denny's that looked exactly like Dan if Dan had some more tattoos. Man, I tell you what, if it w- was a little bit more socially acceptable, I would definitely have a neck, neck tattoo. <laughs> Since when have you cared about social accept- acceptability? Well, you know, I, I have children now, so instead of looking like a dad, you know, if I had a neck tattoo, I might look like, hey, I just stole this kid out of a car type <laughs> look. Yeah, but, you, you definitely you know, have that going for you that's, pass- that's passing judgment, but uh, I don't know. I uh, – I think a neck tattoo would really just would would be sweet on me. I mean, it very clearly says something about you. As soon as somebody walks up, they know this guy. I don't know what it says, but it says something. <laughs> it's like, why does this guy have a Care Bear tattooed on his neck? <laughs> that would be a legit neck tattoo. Yeah, right. right. Oh, man. Should we talk turkeys. about turkeys? <laughs> turkeys. <laughs> turkeys. Real quick, before we get to turkeys, we need to pause very briefly to thank our partners at Sika Gear who have made this podcast possible. Like I mentioned last week, we're going to be changing things up with our little Sika segments here very soon as we're going to begin sharing super short stories during this time from people who have had incredible experiences while out hunting in their Sika gear. Now these aren't going to be stories necessarily about gear at all. We're just looking for great stories. So if you're a fellow Sika user and happen to have a story worth sharing, shoot us an email through our contact form at wiredtohunt.com, and we might just feature you on one of our upcoming segments. So with that said, thanks again to Sika for making this turkey talking episode possible, and now back to the show. Let's talk about turkeys. So when did you start turkey hunting? I'll be honest. The very first time I ever went turkey hunting was in 2000 and see my junior year in college. So it would have been 2001, spring 2001, I think. How old were you at that point? Nope, spring 2002. I'm sorry. I was 22 years old. Okay. So I didn't do any type of any type of turkey hunting until one day my uncle, because I transferred from one college to another college. And I lived closer to my uncle and my uncle's like, Hey, you want to come turkey hunting with me this spring? And I'm like, yep. So shotgun hunting for turkeys. And it was, uh, it was really fun. Yeah. So, so we're both late onset turkey hunters. I didn't start till 
Oh gosh, I don't know. Probably how old? Twenty eight now. I was probably twenty two, maybe. Yeah. So I think I've been turkey hunting for sort of six years, maybe now. Um, but it was one of those things like the first time I ever tried it, I was like hooked. Yeah. It's it's definitely. I mean, what would you tell someone who's never turkey hunted? Somebody listening right now, let's say, if I had to guess, based on, we did a survey like this for the National Deer Alliance. I should have pulled this up. But earlier, probably last year, we, we did a survey asking people if they also turkey hunted. And I think something like 70 or 80% of those deer hunters also turkey hunted. Mm-hmm. So if we assume that is the case, maybe 70% of our audience is already a turkey hunter. The other 30 aren't. What would you tell that other 30% who haven't tried it yet? Well, if they, if they're wanting to hunt in my woods, I'd say it's not very fun, but if, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if it, uh, I, I tell you what, m- there's nothing better in my opinion. And we had kind of had a conversation like this on the BS session that we did a while yep, back, yep. but it's pitch black, right? You're walking in the timber, you set up in your blind or on a field edge or something like that. And then you sun starts coming up, the birds start tweeting and you hear that first gobble and it just makes the, if it's close, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And it's, I mean, it's, it's very interactive and that's what I, why I don't understand why more people don't turkey hunt because it's not really a lot of, if you're a gun hunter, it's not a lot of sitting and waiting. Like for me, I'm, I'm on the go. So if, if I was to continue gun hunting, uh, I would, okay, they're not coming this way. So now I got to make a move. It's like, it's more of a chess game for me than it is sitting in a blind waiting for something to come through. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I think, and it can be that way. I mean, some people do hunt that way. So it's kind of nice. You can kind of pick your, pick your poison. You know, you can do the, the sit in a pop-up blind with a decoy set up and hang out. Or you can run and gun, moving around, hopping from setup to setup, hiking all over the place, yep. and it, it's really it's it's just a very dynamic hunt. You can do so many different things with it. You can hunt them totally different one day, then the next day try something different. And and I don't know about you, but with turkey hunting, I feel like the stakes aren't as high. Right. In that, in that I, I do it. Obviously, I want to kill a turkey for the meat and to eat it, and it's also just for fun. But I don't put as much pressure on myself to try to target some big mature really really super smart turkey although I'm, I'm trying to become maybe a little more selective um, but because of that I don't need to take myself quite as seriously it's a little bit more laid back it's a little bit more fun lots of times I go hunting with buddies so like we'll go yep. out together sit together call for each other do that kind of thing um, you don't need to wake up as early in the morning at least for me um, compared to what I do with whitetail hunting, I like to get out there, you know, just before dark or just before daylight while I'm turkey hunting, while deer hunting, I'm out there like an hour and a half before daylight. Right. Um, you know, you can take a nap in the middle of the day if you want to sit out there for a little bit. And, and lots of times you'll hear a turkey and it'll wake you up. You don't need to be constantly scanning. Um, right. I mean, you should, but <laughs> if you wanted to take a nap, you could. Um, so it's just like a, it's a nice way to get out in the woods in the spring which is a super pretty time of the year to be out there as it's just warming up the sounds are beautiful i love the spring sounds you got the turkeys gobbling you know we got pheasants out here behind my house where i've been turkey hunting they're crowing a little bit in the morning and all the other birds and you know you can you can be active and hunt you can be laid back and hunt and then like you said all the you know the interactive nature of these birds talking to you and you talking back and all that i mean makes for a super fun, super fun hunt. And not to mention, if you do it right, they taste really good too. 
That's a fact, Jack. Love turkey. How do you like to cook? I can't. If we've talked about this before, I'm sorry, but I can't. I don't think we have. Have we ever talked about eating wild turkey? I don't think so. I mean, we probably mentioned it with the uh, the, the cooking uh, podcast that we did uh, with what's his name. But uh, how do you uh, like to eat your wild turkey? So my wife likes it when I make it into turkey nuggets. So I'll take a breast and I'll cut them up into like bite size. I'll bread them and then I'll fry them and I turn them into nuggets. Um, and then I put up, you know, I'll make some kind of hot sauce or barbecue sauce type, you know, wing sauce basically, and then eat them with some blue cheese. That that's, that's what my wife likes. So that's what, what I cook now. Um, I've also do the crock pot method, which where I'll take a breast and I'll cut it into like three pieces because for those of you who don't know, a turkey, wild turkey breast is gigantic. It's not a turkey breast from the grocery store. It's like four turkey breasts from the grocery store. It's, it's awesome. So I like to re- slow cook it a long time with potatoes and carrots. And then I'll make a, a gravy, like a, um, a mush, a cream of mushroom type gravy to that, that goes with it. And uh, so those are two methods that I use. How about yourself? Sounds pretty good. Now, uh, before I, before I answer, do you just take the breast or do you eat the legs too? You know, I've done I've done the legs one one or two other times before, and I, I I didn't get it right. So now I don't. But this year I am go, I saw a recipe online, and I'm going to take the entire bird this year. Yeah, I've got I've got a secret for you, a secret recipe that will make you enjoy those legs like never before. You'll have to post it online. I will. Um, it is it is the best recipe I've tried yet for legs, and I've I've been trying a lot of different things because I've been wanting to you know find a good way to use them. And like you said, it, it's easy to get it wrong because it can be really tough. You know that's that's you know very active muscle fibers in a wild yep. turkey, so it can be super tough unless you cook the right way. So this recipe I found is in a cookbook called A Field. Um, I cannot remember the author, but it's a pretty cool cookbook and. Basically, you well, it's called tomato braised wild turkey legs. Yeah, I saw you posted that. Yeah, I posted something on Instagram, I think. Um, and basically, you just well, take a step back here, and I keep I got the hiccups. I'm sorry. <laughs> First, we brine the turkey legs overnight. So brine's like a super salty water and other vinegar mixture that you put the turkey legs in and, and brine them overnight. And we now do that with breasts and legs that seems to make a huge difference on the tenderness factor no matter what recipe we do we brine them first overnight and then the next day we go through the regular recipe process so that's a little tip that we've kind of picked up that's helped a lot with the wild turkey we eat so we we brine it and i cannot remember what my wife puts in the brine but if you just look up online various different turkey brines i'm sure you'll find one Um, and then you put in tomatoes and a whole bunch of other stuff and then you you braise it, which is essentially a slow cook in liquid for like five or six hours or something. And when doing that with the slow cook mixed with the very acidic tomatoes, it breaks down the muscle fiber in those turkey legs and the tendons and all that stuff and makes it so tender, like no knife required. I could just pull it off with my fingers and eat the meat off of it. It was really, really good. Um, by far the best recipe I've tried for wild turkey legs. So that's one definitely worth checking out. Um, 
And then I really like what you said. I like with my turkey breast, doing the nuggets is a great way. Frying them up, that's a tasty treat. And then we also do a pretty main wild white, wild turkey, no, white turkey chili. Oh, yeah. And that's pretty good. But, again, everything, if you brine it first, it just seems to help a ton when it comes to that that tenderness, which is the big factor. I think that's the big thing with wild turkey that people get wrong and that people say they don't like wild turkey because of is because, ah, it's too tough. But if you if you get that tenderness taken care of, it's it's good good eating. Yeah, I agree. So. We always um, when, whenever I cook the breast, I tenderize it with uh, a mallet or a, a cookie dough roller, a dough roller. Yeah, so just like smacking it really hard for a long time. Yep, smacking it hard. Yep, thinning yep. out just a bit, and um, that that does a good job of uh, tenderizing tenderizing yeah. it as well. Yeah, that's smart. I think that uh, if you if you take that tip into mind, some kind of tenderizing. Uh, treatment. I think you'll have a lot better meals from those from those wild turkey. And um, so we've talked about eating turkeys. Um, when did you kill your first bird? Going back to the back in the day, you started hunting when you were 22 or so. Yep, How long did it take for you to kill your first? Very first, very first season. Yeah. I um, I have killed other than the year my wife uh, was pregnant, which would have been last year. Um. And then there was another season. It rained every day of turkey season. I've I've sh- uh, shot my turkey every year. So uh, since two th- since uh, 2002, it was either 2002 or 2001. I killed a turkey every year except two years. Nice. Yeah. It's a nice uh, it's a nice way to get some consistent diversity in your diet. Oh yeah. That's for sure. Because like you said, I think, at least for me, I don't know. I hear some people talk about how turkeys are, like, super, super smart and so difficult to hunt. And I don't want to say they're not because you need to do things right, and mm-hmm. it's a challenge still. But at the same time, I feel like, and, and maybe this is maybe this is completely wrong, but from my experience, once you kind of have some basics down and you kind of, kind of solidify a basic – yeah. level of calling expertise. I don't want to say expertise, but uh, oh, what's the right word here? Just uh, a certain standard of quality in your calling and a few basic things. Like you can pretty consistently get a bird into at least shotgun range. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you go out a handful of times a year. So so yes, yeah, since I started turkey hunting, the first two years I think I did not kill a bird. The first year I just went out and sat with a friend who didn't really know what he was doing. Um, and the second year, I went out on my own, just trying to figure it out myself, and had a couple close calls, but not quite close enough. And then the next year, I like bought decoys. I bought my own decoys finally, and from there on out, it's been every year multiple birds. Um, yeah. So it's like I just had to kind of take a couple of years to figure things out and, and just kind of wrap my head around it, and then get half decent with a call. And now it seems like, knock on wood. I can get out there and, and there's going to be a pretty good chance of filling that tag if I've got a couple of days to hunt. But, you know, now I'm trying to take it, you know, like we talked about the other day, trying to make it a little more of a challenge, maybe with, with bow hunting or doing different things or traveling to different places to turkey hunt because it's, yep. it's a ton of fun. And I, I, I kind of now don't want my season to end so quickly, you know? Right. Right. I tell you, here's, here is my very first turkey experience. So, um, I meet my uncle uh, at this little this uh, it's an old farm and my uncle and his brothers so my two uncles basically they built a they built a little shack 
and it had bunk beds in it and enough room for a cot. So it was real tight in there. But me, another buddy, and uh, one of my uncles and my other uncle lived close, so he drove uh, he drove from his home every morning. But the very first morning, my buddy went with my one uncle, and my other uncle took me and uh, took me down to this river bottom. He we waited, we walked into the timber, waited to hear the first gobble, walked up to about, oh, I'd say a hundred yards to where um, this turkey had gobbled. He sat me down in a tree. He backed up about mm, 50 yards and uh, started calling this Jake or yeah, this Jake flew out of the tree, started strutting right in front of me. Boom. It was maybe 620 in the morning. <laughs> like it happened real fast. And that was, that was my very first turkey hunt. Is that basically how your turkey hunting process looks now? Is that your basic gist still? Uh, yeah. I mean, so that for the most part, that's what I do. I mean, if I'm gun hunting, obviously, bow hunt, I haven't, I've bow hunted before for him, but like I said, it was, my wife was pregnant last year and I didn't hardly get out at all. But this, you know, if it's just me, what I'm doing is I'm waiting to hear gobbles. If I'm and this is if I'm gun hunting, if I'm waiting to hear gobbles, uh, then I make a move on to where they're at, still roosted in the tree, and uh, I'll sit down and wait, and I'll try to get into a position where I can maybe get some kind of response from them, and then call them. Most of the time, they they come right in. Uh, as far as mornings are concerned, um, if they don't come right in, then I'm, I'm doing a, a lot of running and gunning, you know, maybe move 50 yards or maybe to the next ridge, call a little bit, call a little bit, try to f hear those responses early in the morning. Uh, and then when it comes to the later in the afternoon, that's when I do a lot of sitting and using maybe a, some more decoys to try to get, uh, to try to get, uh, you know, something to cruise by me or, or, or get interested or, I mean, it's just different. Every year is a little different. So do you, when you're going on your property, do you know, do you have a handful of spots where you know that they, tr they traditionally roost? So when you go out there opening day in the next week or whenever it is that you're going to go out there, are you going to go to this general area where typically, you know, some are roosted and you're going to get out there in the morning, listen, and then from there adjust what you assumed? Is that correct? Yep. So this year is going to be different because I'll be, I guess I shouldn't say this year, but my wife, I go, I go, uh, turkey hunting with my wife. Um, and she loves it because it's turkeys are ugly. They're not deer. They're not cute. So she has no problem killing an ugly animal, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> so they're kind of, they're kind of pretty in their own way. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty. Yeah. But have you ever seen their face up close? I mean, if I had a face like a turkey face, I wouldn't have my wife right now. Dude, me, me, my face on a video podcast is like when you finally get up close to a turkey head. <laughs> <laughs> That's why this whole video podcast thing is stressful. I got a face for radio, dude. <laughs> Are they going to censor your face? They might need to. Someone, Somebody told me the other day when I was doing a live Facebook feed that I look like Roseanne from the Roseanne yeah, show. <laughs> you don't, definitely don't look like Roseanne. Well, thank you because I started Googling Roseanne, trying to look at pictures. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Why do we even try? I don't know. I don't know. But sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> so because I go uh, hunting with my wife now, um, she's not a huge fan of the run and gun type tactics. So I'll 
So like, let's say, for example, next Friday is when the season starts. So Thursday afternoon, I'm going to go out. I'm going to set a blind up uh, for Friday morning, and I'm, I'll get it close to where turkeys historically roost in this particular field, and they like to pitch down into it. So, so, so sorry. This is a field. You're going to set up on the edge of the field, right? It's, a, it's kind of like a cattle pasture. It's not an ag field. It's like a mix between CRP, but cattle have access to it. So okay. it's a little overgrown, but it's not it's not a, a straight pasture and it's not straight CRP and they fly down in there and it's kind of in the wide open and they like to strut from there to some fields and, uh, to a different kind of horse pasture. And they just kind of work this, this high point. And, uh, so what we do is we cut them off and, uh, that's where we're going to go hunt this year. So, Okay. So this is good. I think this is, you know, for those of you that the 20% or 30% of you out there who have never turkey hunted before, and maybe you're going to try, I think what Dan laid out there is a pretty solid way to go about getting started turkey hunting. It's very similar to what I do too. You know, once you have a property, you're going to turkey hunt. The first thing I would recommend probably doing is just like Dan said, go out there early in the morning and just listen and find out where these birds are roosting. And I mean, traditionally, and and I, I want to take a quick step back. I am not I don't think Dan would claim to be either. I don't think either one of us claim to be expert turkey hunters. Yeah, we're not um, Cuz Strickland. No, we are not Cuz Strickland. We're, we we simply are guys that have managed to figure out a, some way to have success. Um, but that said, um, you know, go out there try to try to hear where these birds are gobbling because they gobble off the roost when they're when I say roost. If you're not familiar, that's you know at night they go up and stay in a tree. And they stay up in that tree until daylight. And then after daylight, they will fly back down to the ground and spend their day on the ground. So that's why you want to go. They'll be gobbling when they're up in the tree. You want to find them when they're in the tree so you can get close to it. And then, like Dan said, maybe you'll be able to get them to fly down and then work their way towards you because they think you're a hen. So a couple things to keep in mind when it comes to finding out where turkeys roost. From what I understand um, and from what I've seen, you know, turkeys typically like to roost on a, a large horizontal limb if, you know, if available. So lots of times if you, you know, maybe if there's a big ridge with a bunch of old oak trees on it with some big old branches that come off of that, that might be a terrific roosting location. Um, that kind of spot is where you're typically going to see those birds staying at night. And then they like to be somewhat close to some kind of strutting zone, some kind of field or open area, like Dan mentioned, in his case, a, a horse pasture or something, or cow pasture. Lots of times, one of the first things they want to do is they, they come off the roost, they fly down, and they want to work to a strutting area or some kind of spot where they can strut around and hopefully find some hens. And, you know, this is this basically this time of year, the spring is the turkey rut. You know, this is when, you know, they're trying to find their hens. And, um, you know, that's basically the... the the simplest way to think about turkey hunting is that right there. Find where they're roosted, get as close as you can, and then try to get them to come your way once they drop down. Um, so I'm curious about your calling thoughts and, and techniques when they're on the roost. You get in there in the morning. You get as, Well, actually, let's take a step back. How do you decide how close you're willing to get when you're trying to get over to that roosted bird? The bird's still in the tree gobbling. What do you, do you just have a rule like hundred yards is, is as close as you want to get or 50 or 60 or 70 yards, or do you just kind of wing it? Yeah, it's all, it's all winging. Cause if you go too close, they'll see you and then they will not come in your direction. Yeah. Um, but so I like to, I like to get into a position where they where if I know where they're at, I, I know I can use terrain 
or other object obstructions to get closer to them. Uh, you know, if that's just me and a gun. Now, if I'm if I'm hunting out of a blind, I'm going to hunt in an area to where I think they're going to be going. So, uh, you know, like a field edge or a, a more of a wide open space because turkey are not like deer, right? So they like a little bit more of a wide open type of area to to do their strutting because you're not going to see a turkey go through a, a multi-flower rose thicket. You know what I mean? Yeah. So someplace where I have historically seen them strut in the past, which is like field edges, fields, um, CRP. CRP, cattle pastures, that kind of stuff. So if I'm in a blind, I'm, I'm going to be going to where they are wanting to go. And if I'm with a gun, I'm going to get as close to them as humanly possible while still in the tree and then try to get them as they fly down and potentially have maybe a decoy out to get their attention or uh, do some light calling to uh, get them interested in coming my way. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So one of the things that I think I was screwing up early on when I first started turkey hunting is that I couldn't get enough of gobbling. So right. when I could get a turkey to gobble, I'd want to call right back. And then he'd gobble, and then I'd be so excited I'd want to call right back, and then he'd gobble. And I'd do that, and I was over-calling, and then those birds yeah. would never come to me. So so now I'm I'm really actually pretty careful about not over-calling, and I, I much rather prefer to – to be very strategic with just just enough to keep them interested but longing for more so you know when it comes to when, when a bird's on a roost and i get set up on that bird i typically just like to do enough calling some light yelping just enough so that i know that that bird knows i'm there i get a gobble from him or from all the birds that are there in that area and once they know i'm there then i kind of shut up and i wait for them to fly down I just want to make sure they know there's a hen there, but they don't get worried that maybe it's a hunter and that's not legit. So I'm pretty careful. I'm pretty, uh, uh, what's the right word? I'm struggling to find the right word here, but, but really limited in my early roost calling. Once they come down onto the ground, then I'll give it to them a little bit. But again, I'm, I'm much more, oh, I don't know why I can't think of the word here. I'm struggling to find the same word over and over again. But long story short, I let them want more from me rather than consistently trying to get them to gobble over and over and over. What's your thought process on a mountain of calling? Do you agree with me on that? Are you different? Well, it just depends on who I'm with. Right. So like if I'm with, I've taken kids out before and kids love gobbling. Right. So if they're a new hunter or my wife, you know, it gets them excited because if you just sit there and don't call, it's kind of, it's, I mean, you hear a gobble, it's fun, but at the same time, um, I want to try to be successful as well. And there is a time when it's, it's time to shut up. And that is, if you hear for me is if a Turkey is, if a Turkey is, if a Tom is gobbling and getting closer to you, as you call, I continue to call. But if for some reason this Turkey may be, um, heading away from you, then what I do is I will stop calling and I may even move my position backwards just a little bit and then maybe do some more calling. Now what that does, you know, there's, I don't know if there's any scientific fact to back this up, but what this does is it makes the, the, the Turkey, the Tom feel that, Hey, that hen is going away and I need to go, I need to, I need to, you know, 
go that way. Now, I, I'm not so I'm not 100% sure of this this fact either, but I think male turkeys gobble, and in in nature, the hens go to the toms. Now, yes, that yes. is that is true from what I understand. Okay. Yep. So what as a hunter, we're trying to do things backwards, right? We are trying to get the toms to come to the hens, which is not it's not natural. So if a tom is with another hen, that's what you know, we call that being henned up, and it's very hard to get a tom to break off of, you know, break away from a hen, especially if he's the only tom with the only hen. So it's it's very hard to get them to break off and come your way. Now, you know, if you sound horned up enough, you know, I've seen some crazy things happen where toms do come to investigate and you know, you, you got a shot there, but I tend to be aggressive in my calling, but then, then just go completely dead quiet. And I feel that my, that's where I, I've, I've had success over the years is to get them all horned up and then stop. And then they're like, Hey, what the heck's going on? Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a spot on tactic when they get kind of hung up, you know, and there's a yep. bird who just will not, maybe they get to like 80 yards or whatever, and they just will not come any closer because just like you said, I think that's this exact situation. They say, okay, there's the hen. She should come to me now. Yep. And uh, I think when you, when you just shut up and then just wait, then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, bam, there they are right in front of you looking around with that, that head held high looking around. Yep. Um, and that's when they, uh, that's when my favorite moment in turkey hunting happens when you get that gobble from 15 yards away that you had no idea was there. Right. <laughs> that is awesome. And, and then there's another thing that it's also important to know, right? So if a turkey sounds like he's getting closer and you call and you call and he's getting closer and he's getting closer and he's gobbling this entire time and then he stops, a, you know, if you're a relatively new hunter, you're going to say, well, he went away. He's, he's done. If they stop gobbling, that means they're close and they're continuing to come in closer because once they have identified where the calling is coming from, they no longer need to gobble. So so they're coming to your location. That's a good point. I, I, I found it both ways. Like sometimes yeah. I'll have these gobblers that come in loud the whole time, but then you definitely do get those that, that shut up and then keep coming in but silent, and that's so true. Like yeah. you need to keep your eyes on a swivel without moving um but be ready i I would probably say for a good like 10 15 minutes even after thinking that bird has been quiet and maybe isn't around anymore you should still just just assume that he's coming in and be ready for it because they all of a sudden pop out of nowhere i don't know about you but in a lot of cases turkeys are like with a deer they're they're a pretty big animal and even though they're well camouflaged if there's one getting close to you it's usually you're gonna know it yeah. But lots of times a turkey can just like sneak up on you because like most of their body can be underneath grass and stuff. You just see there's this little head that kind of pops around above if they're in some kind of cover. Um, all of a sudden there can be one right up behind you before you even know it um, if you're not paying attention to it. So, yeah, there's definitely uh, there's definitely you know just like deer hunting, man. There's there's tips and tricks and things you got to learn on your own in order to uh, you know in order to be successful so true (laughs) um what kind of calls do you use dude i tell you what i cannot use a mouth call for the life of me when it comes to turkey hunting i suck i suck at mouth calling so i have a box call and i have a slate call and uh 
you know, I mix it up based off of what, you know, what's getting them responding. But most of my calling is done with a box call. Really? I'd say, I'd say 75%. Yeah. So you prefer a box call to a slate? Yep, I do. Interesting. I, I'm, I'm the opposite. I, I'm not, well, to your point with the, with the read calls, mouth calls, I'm not great at those. I'm a little bit better. I've been trying to get better at that because there's something to be said about not having to use your hands when calling yep. a bird in. So I've, I've tried to get just good enough that I can use it, you know, in some situations. Um, but I still prefer a slate most of the time for me, for whatever reason, I just feel like I have the most control and I can just get the most accurate sound. Um, I don't know why that is, but it just seems to be a little bit more of a, I don't know. I can just, I've got a little more control over the sound than I do with the box call. I feel with the box is just like loud and squawky while with my slate call, I can, I can kind of, you know, I can purr, I can cluck, I can yelp, I can do a bunch of little things with a, it's essentially just working a pencil on yep. this, on this slate and you just can kind of finesse it and get different sounds. And for whatever reason, for me, that's what I, that's worked for me. Um, but the reads are definitely a challenge. It takes a while to figure out how to work your mouth to get the sound, you know? Yep. That's right. So we've talked about our favorite calls and how we like to call, um, now you said you sometimes use decoys, sometimes yep. you don't. Right. And it I always I always start out like in the morning, my first setup will be with decoys, right? And then as the because sometimes when turkeys fly down off the roost, they all go in different directions, right? So the goal after they get out of the tree and onto the uh, timber floor is to meet back up again with one another. The toms and the hens, they all want to be in this group, especially. So if you can get close enough to where they pitch down and having a, you know, they have the uh, opportunity to see a decoy, they're going to, they're, they're more likely to come in right off the morning to, you know, to uh, meet up with those other Turkey. Yeah. So what's your typical decoy set? Um, I, I usually run a Jake and a hen, one Jake, one hen. Okay. And do you have a particular way you like to have them set up looking at you or a pet or heads up, heads down, anything like that? You know, not necessarily. I, I typically have, uh, my hen decoy. She has her head up and I try to keep her as low to the ground as possible. And then I'll have the Jake decoy right, like kind of off to the side of her and but close to her and that's what works but i mean i've i've had success with two or three decoys um i've cut the i've cut a a slice out of one of my jake decoys and i uh, attached an old fan that i had from a previous turkey kill and made what looked like a full strut gobbler out of it and uh that's i've killed turkey over that you know i've also killed turkey over um, no decoy. So it just depends. I've it kind of what situation, if you were, if you're going to sit a lot and it's early in the morning, I use decoys. But after that, I try to, you know, take the decoys out of the equation and, and then, uh, make them think that they have, they can't see it. So, you know, if they, if they can see something and they're not terribly interested in coming in, then they won't come in. But if they can't see it, it kind of gets them thinking, Hey, what uh what's going on over there they may be more likely to investigate yeah i've definitely had i feel like i've had both situations where like i felt like 
you know, some kind of, sometimes it's like you just said there, but on the other hand, sometimes they feel like I was calling a bird. He gets within sight and they say, okay, I should be able to see that turkey now. Where's the hen? Mm-hmm. Why can't I see a hen? And then he won't come any closer. So I feel like for me, I, I, I always am experimenting and sometimes adjusting and seeing that change, you know, make a difference right away. So for usually kind of now after trying a lot of different sets with Jake's and hens and Tom, I've kind of settled on, usually I start with a single full strut Tom and a hen with the hen's head down like she's feeding and then Tom behind her. But I will then gauge, you know, the turkey's behavior and how they react to that after a hunt or two and then adjust. So the other year I had a situation like that where I had some birds come in, they saw it and it was just too much. They didn't like that Tom in there. They backed out. And I think that's sometimes kind of a sign of the, kind of like the phase of the rut sort of we're talking in deer terms you know the turkey mating season goes through uh through kind of a process a a consistent process every year too so there might be a different phase sort of of where they are in the breeding season so sometimes those turkeys those toms are a little bit more competitive and they're interested in coming in and beating up on another tom other times of year they're not as interested in it so i kind of gauge that based on how they react to that tom and so if i see those birds some gobblers or jakes coming in they see that tom they don't want to have anything to do with him then i'll remove it lots of times just leave that hen or put out two hens and then sometimes that ends up being the trick so i think you need to kind of pay attention to what they tell you and then adjust accordingly but i personally have always i think i usually start with that tom and hen and then and then go from there yeah but uh it's there's no there's no one size fits all you know when it comes to strategy for turkey i almost i almost think it's like deer hunting but the information is processed faster you know for you know if you're after a a buck you have to wait for him to come through or you know they're not making noise you know you you try to find out a pattern I, I feel that with turkey, you can process that information faster, which allows you to make quicker decisions, which allows you to compress all that all that decision making into one day to get on a turkey as opposed to maybe a couple days to get on a deer. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It definitely does allow you to speed up a lot of that process because of the audio nature of it, you know? It makes yep. it a lot of fun too. That's right. That's the truth. So, have you ever missed a turkey? I I've never missed one, but I did shoot one head on, full while it was in full strut, and it it did a backwards flip somersault type deal, and it didn't kill it, and it ran away. So gotcha. I hit, I didn't hit it directly in the head, I hit it basically in the uh, breast. A little like in the breast and uh it just it was probably at about 20 yards so it 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 got a lot of the load but um it didn't you know it rolled it over backwards and it's like my uncle always told me if a turkey's in full strut and you and you shoot him and he doesn't hit the head that's almost like a plate of armor for it i mean all those feathers yeah yeah a lot of feathers that are bristled up and uh it allows the turkey to kind of have a little defense mechanism, sort of. Yeah, that's very true. And that's why you aim for the neck and head. Yeah, if you're hunting with a gun. If you're hunting with a gun, yeah. correct. If you're hunting with a bow, you want a more mid-body. you got to be careful about that. They've got yeah. actually a pretty small vital area in the heart, lungs area, in the body. So it's worth looking up at a diagram to see exactly where they are because it can be kind of tricky to pick out the exact spot, especially if you're looking at a turkey that is full strut versus not. Right. Um, 
from the diagrams I've always seen, it's, it's usually helpful to look at that turkey's legs where they come into the body and then go straight up from that. No matter what angle the bird's at from you, if you look at where the legs come into the body and then go up a little bit from that, that's a good kind of frame framing to look at. But uh, I, Dan, have missed three turkeys. With a gun or with a bow? Once with a gun, twice with a bow. Yeah. Um, my first bird I ever shot at was with my gun. No, let, no, let me take that back. That was this is the the first birds I ever shot at were with a bow, and I missed both of them. One of them I just well no both both of them I shot right underneath them. I misjudged the distance and just shot too soon on both of those birds and shot kind of right between their legs, right underneath them. Uh, and they were both probably a little bit too far than I I should have been shooting at a turkey. Um, and that was like that second season I'd ever hunted them. And then the next year I went out with a gun, and the first gobbler I called in that year, he had come in and came in directly behind me. And the way I was set up, I was set up with my back to a tree, not in a blind or anything. I was just sitting up against a tree. And behind the tree I was sitting next to was a huge pine tree, like a really thick, really big pine tree. And so that big pine tree kind of blocked a lot of my vision behind me. Yeah. So... It was this was an evening set, and I was sitting on the edge of a winter wheat field, kind of where I thought these birds might be heading back up towards to roost. And lo and behold, you know, after yelping away, I finally got one gobbling way off in the distance, um, and it sounded like he was coming my direction. But then nothing. I didn't hear anything for like half hour, forty minutes, um, and I was getting you know closer and closer to dark, and hadn't heard anything. And so finally, I tried another yelp again, and this is just like that situation I talked about earlier, like. 10 yards behind me, Max, a gobbler, just blows up right after I started yelping. He came all the way in and was right behind me, but he was on the other side of that pine tree. Well, I can't move because I'm worried that he can see me. I can't, I can't get behind me because he sounds so close. I don't want to turn because he might be within sight. But at the same time, I can't see him at all because it's these pine trees right behind me. So I'm just frozen there waiting. And as he starts coming up behind me, I realize he's going to literally walk, like, right next to me. Like, he's going to be within, like, almost, like, arm distance. I can just kind of hear this, like, slowly working towards me. And so I realize, okay, he's going to walk right next to me, and he's going to spook. So I'm going to have to do, like, a one, two, three, spin around and try to shoot him. And, like, try to do all that in a split second. At least at the time, that seemed like the best thing to do. So I just decided, okay, right when I thought he was like getting like close enough that I could do this, I did the countdown and then I spun around and there he was like three yards away from me and I ripped the trigger and I don't know what happened, but did not hit him at all because he just went tearing off. And that was my first miss with a gun. I was very upset. How do you miss a turkey at three yards? (laughs) (laughs) I felt like a real idiot. Um, But then like, Five, ten minutes later, I heard another gobble, and lo and behold, I was able to call in three more birds in the last, like, five minutes of daylight before dark and uh, got a really nice bird um, that came out in front of me the way I was hoping the first one would. So that was how I killed my first bird, was uh, with missing one at three yards and then five minutes later getting a chance at a real nice one right out in front of me. So That's awesome. That, uh, that was pretty cool. I have not missed one since, so... Knock on wood. Yeah, that might change this year if I go out with a bow again. <laughs> I think I told you ever since I started dating my wife and it was like the first, yeah, the, I don't even know if we were married yet, and I took her out. And the first two years I took her out, 
we didn't hunt in a, we hunted in a blind in the mornings and then we just rent, run and gun all day. Well, now I know better to do that. But the first, the first two years were, it was a lot of raining and a lot of walking. And I could look in her face while she was behind me as I'm calling, we're trying to get on in position for these uh, birds, just not having any type of fun. Like the, the, it was just soaking wet. So I was surprised on that third year when she decided, Hey, yeah, I'll give this one more shot. And that's when she got her, her first, her first Turkey. And, uh, it's kind of funny. Two, two Toms came in at one time and, uh, so I'm, I'm coaching her through the, I'm coaching her through the, uh, you know, the Tom's coming in. All right. You know, all right, get your gun up. Are you ready? Turn off your safety. Your safety's off. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready? And she's like, yeah, boom, drops it, just drops it right in its tracks. And the other Tom was kind of just hanging around. So I took the gun away from her. And I started, I pulled it up to shoot the other Tom and she jumps on me, giving me a hug because she's so jacked up that it kind of <laughs> like the gun kind of goes off and I'm, and I have to like adjust in my seat and put the barrel, you know, line the sights up again. And then I, I shoot the, uh, I shoot the next Tom next to it. So, uh, her first Turkey was a double, a double for us. And it was, it was very, it was exciting. I, I had so much, I have, I'll tell you what, I have a lot of fun hunting with my wife. I can definitely see that it's it's just fun to, I can I, I well I have turkey hunt with my wife too, but it's just fun to turkey hunt with another person. It's one That's of those right. types of things that you can really enjoy with another person. Yep. Now hold on one second, Dan. My cat is in the office with me. Okay, can it you hear that? Sound, it sounds like <laughs> pigeon. It sounds like a pigeon is in in your. And I was just going to ask you, hey man, what's uh, or somebody jackhammering outside? But it's a cat purring. Okay. I have the loudest cat ever. And what's your cat's was, name? Her name is Bella. Bella. Okay. And she only has three legs. Really? Yeah, she only has three legs. How'd you um, lose uh, the one of them? Well, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna remove her from the office. Okay. And then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna tell you about that. Okay. Right? So this good. is gonna take two seconds. I'll sing to everybody while. Uh, yeah, you well, talk. You talk to people. Okay, guys. Now that Mark is gone, uh, let's let's talk really about what we think of Mark Kenyon. Okay. I mean, if you ask me, I think, man, I don't know. I don't get him. <laughs> and and, well, and what and were you saying there? <laughs> and, and that's why you know those are my five favorite things about Mark Kenyon. <laughs> I can't wait to go listen to that when I edit. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to edit this whole cat section out, but I think I'll keep it now. <laughs> yeah, just keep it. Yeah, so the cat, she was sitting in here on the chair, and she was sleeping. And so I was like, okay, you know what? Like, usually I make all my dogs and my cat leave when we record, but she was sleeping on the chair next to me. And I thought, oh, she'll be fine. But that was a big mistake because she's the loudest cat ever when she purrs. She's yeah. got this, like, smoker's cough purr. <laughs> so, so what happened to her is she... When we moved in this house, she was like a barn cat that was in this barn behind our house that my wife took a liking to when we moved in. The cat would come up, my wife would pet her, and eventually she'd give her milk and food and kind of start liking this cat. And it'd be there like every day at our back door. And then one day, the cat disappeared. And at about the same time, a local trapper had told me that her asked if he could trap behind my house and I said yeah I told him the day before that yes he could um 
Well, then the cat disappears, and my wife is freaking out. What happened to Bella? Where's Bella? Blah, blah, blah. And, like, it had been, like, I don't know, several days or something. And finally, I was like, well, I don't know, maybe it got caught in one of the traps. So I called the trapper, and I said, hey, man, my wife's cat disappeared. Is there any chance that you might have trapped that cat? And he's like, no, 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 no. And then it hangs up. And then that night, the cat shows up on our front doorstep with its back leg just mangled. It was. It had obviously been trapped and um, was just absolutely mangled. So my wife wigged out, took it to the vet, and she decided that, you know, we, it was either the cat had to be put down or we had to pay to amputate the cat's leg. And my wife was crying, and I couldn't say no. So I spent all this money <laughs> to amputate the leg of a barn cat that I didn't have anything to do with until we showed up here. And now that cat is a house cat that we have had for the many years since. And she's a great cat, but she is just really loud. So, she's thankful. Um, she's thankful. Yeah, I guess so. So that's that's the story of Bella, and that's why you heard the loud purring pigeon for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I do not know what we were talking about before that. But, oh, you know what? I, I was thinking one thing. You mentioned that uh, that one day with your wife was raining. Yep. Right? Um I'm curious about how you think different weather impacts turkeys. The one thing I've seen personally, well, there's two types of weather-related factors that have influenced my turkey hunting success. One, I don't like windy days because it's hard to hear the gobble. It's hard to hear a turkey, and it's hard for turkey to hear you. So those are tougher days from what I've seen. And then rainy days can actually be good days because from what I've read, from what I've learned from guys that are actually really good turkey hunters, turkeys really like to be out in the open during the rain, even more so than usual because that rain impacts their ability to hear stuff when they're in the woods. So they go out into the wide open so they can see everything around them really well. That's where they feel safest during a heavy rain. So you can actually find birds a lot easier when it's raining because they're going to be almost always out in the open. So those are two things I've learned about weather. Anything that you've seen? Yeah, similar to what, you know, if it's if it's raining or if it is w- really windy uh, or even overcast. I mean, I, I feel that those three scenarios prevent turkeys from gobbling and, and being uh, vocal. Now, on the opposite end of that, if you have uh, a really crisp, no wind, beautiful sunrise morning, those are when the turkeys go the craziest. Those are days to be in the woods, that's for sure. That's right. So what's your worst turkey hunting mistake you think you've ever made? Um, I don't know, man. Probably being too aggressive and just trying to bulldoze right into where I think they're at and, you know, obviously not run full sprint through the woods trying to uh, go get them. But, you know, pro- I've, I've been busted several times where um, – you know, because some sometimes they're heading away from, heading away from you. It's uh, it has it's typically in one of those days where they're not responding, and uh, you know, to calls either it's windy or it's raining or it's maybe a little overcast. And I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to make a move towards their location where I last heard them or saw them. And in the meantime, they've shifted position, and I have I got busted by a hen or a Tom or whatever, um, going to their location when they maybe had flanked me or something like that. Yeah. That's easy to do. Yeah. 
when they when they quiet up and then you start it's like at least for me I, I once you have talkative birds you start just assuming that you know where they are but you then make the mistake and that you thought they were 200 yards away or whatever because you heard them there a couple minutes ago and then you come around the corner and 50 yards away there he is when you thought you were still safe to be moving through there or whatever so you, you just definitely got to be i think I've tried to teach myself to be a little more careful. Like you want to be aggressive, but careful because right. you can't assume that if a bird's not talking, a bird's not there, you know? That's right. That's right. So yeah, I've definitely made similar mistakes or, or something similar to that. I was hunting with my buddy, Josh, and he was the one hunting. I think I was calling and, and uh, we were set up in the evening trying to, we were trying to be close to where we thought they'd be roosted. And uh, it was kind of a windy day and just nothing was talking as they were heading back to roost. And so I think it was like, I don't know, five, ah, heck, I don't know what it was. It was getting to be pretty dark. I was starting to think, ah, I bet you that, uh, I bet the birds have already gone up to roost maybe. Nothing had been talking for like half hour, 45 minutes, and we'd heard one gobble way off distant a long time ago, but nothing now. And so we're like, all right, you know, let's just call it. So we stand up, and just as we stand up, we turn around, a big old gobbler goes running away. He was like 12 yards behind us, was right there. And uh, we just we didn't wait it out. We didn't uh, put in the whole time. We were gonna bail out of there early, and because of that, my buddy missed out on being able to kill his first turkey. So that was a bummer. But there's a lot of instances like that. I think that I've where I've spooked a bird because I moved too soon, or you know should have stayed put for a little bit longer. But the one nice thing I guess with turkeys is that I've, at least from what I've seen is they might be a little bit more forgiving of those kinds of mistakes than mature bucks are. Yeah. The, uh, my, my favorite is, you know, I, I'm hunting all morning. I'm going up and down these ridges and draws and chasing these birds. And then I, I walk up and I have my gun, um, down. I take my, I took my bullets out of it already. I, you know, every, all my calls are in my backpack. I got my head down walking and, um, I step out into the field and I look up and there are two toms and like one or two hens. The toms are in full strut probably 10 yards from my park truck oh geez so so they'll sit there and they'll get spooked at a leaf fall in the timber but then they'll go and strut by a tractor or a, a park truck that's awesome <laughs> it's gotta be frustrating yeah but it, the cool thing about turkey hunting is you can you can be unsuccessful with a bird and give them maybe 30 40 minutes maybe even an hour and then those birds will go away to the next ridge. They'll get calmed down and they'll start strutting again. And they'll start, you know, they'll, they'll think that they're away from danger. They may not gobble as much if, if you busted them, but you definitely have an opportunity to call them in again. Or, or make a move, get around yep, them. Exactly. And get another shot at them that way. That's a, that's a good way to go about it for sure. One other random thing that I just thought of that is not related to what we were just talking about at all, but I want to make sure we mention it before we go, is one tip related to calling that I found has been really effective is mimicking a hen in that if you hear a hen, if there's another hen with a tom somewhere near you, you're trying to call that tom in, but there's also a hen that's making some noises too, some yelping. Mimic that hen, whatever noise she makes, make that noise and then get more aggressive with it. And then just keep going back and forth with her. If you can piss off a hen, lots of times they'll get so fired up, they'll come in and they pull on the tom with them. 
I've done that many times, several times, I guess, just in the last two years that I have gotten a hen fired up, brought her in, and then a tom was right on her tail. And uh, we got my dad a bird like that last year, and we got a shot at two toms in Ohio like that last year. And then the year before that, we did a double. Me and my buddy Josh were hunting down in our Ohio lease, and we had one of those situations where two toms came in together at the same time, and we did the one, two, three shoot and got them both, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that's so, always fun. So, yeah, that's that's something that I've, I've heard from a lot of people. Like That was something I learned from I don't know, some magazine article I read or something that, that I've seen work very well in the field. So if you hear if you hear a noisy head, get right back at her. Do you have set in stone turkey plans yet? What do, do you know when you're going out? Yep. Um, let's see. In Iowa, let me pull up my calendar real quick on my phone here. Um, let's see. The youth season already has started, and I believe – I don't know if it's – I think it's the 18th. The, like it goes in different seasons for gun hunting. Now, uh, I think it's – I don't know if it's this weekend or, or it's actually the 18th where archery season starts. So for Iowa, you can buy one archery tag and you can hunt from the 18th of April all the way until I think May 14th or something. Now for gun hunting, you're limited to seasons. So like the first season is the 18th through the 21st. Uh, and then the second season is the 22nd, third, fourth, and fifth, maybe the sixth. And then the third season is the 27th through so it, the seasons get a little bit longer as the season or the yeah the the seasons get longer as the the month progresses all the way into april where i think the we have a bonus week and then the third season is two two weeks i think something something like that but we always go the second week the the second season which is the first weekend so it's a friday saturday sunday monday tuesday the first weekend you said it's the it's the first weekend that is available to hunt in those particular seasons gotcha yeah but it's it's considered second season gotcha gotcha so that's what you said april 18th opens so is that april like 26th or 7th or something you'll be out it's, there i'll be out there next weekend not this weekend but next weekend nice nice yeah i uh, i will be starting to hunt next monday so a week from yesterday and yep. then my dad and Josh will be coming in to hunt with me that weekend that you'll be hunting. So yep. we'll have some fun hunting. God, I'm just so ready to get out and do some hunting. I've been struggling. Are you, are you going to Ohio at all? Yeah, we're going to do a weekend. So I'm going to hunt here during the week, next week. Then that weekend, Josh and my dad will be down to hunt here. And then I think the following weekend is when we're going to go to Ohio. And so gotcha. that'll be when I uh, put out cameras, do a little stand adjustments, and turkey hunt. Is uh, let's see here, is Michigan and Ohio are they one or two bird states? They're both one bird. Okay, so that's the same as Iowa. I know there's some southern states where I think you know I might I, be wrong. Ohio might be a two bird state. Okay, I know there's certain states that are one one bird there's other that are two birds and i think there are certain states that you there may be a five turkey throughout the entire year like so that that just seems like a lot to me <laughs> that's a lot of turkey that's a lot of turkeys yeah I, I do wish that i could take two in michigan yeah um two seems nice because like that's why i feel like this year like 
for a number of years now, I've killed a bird within the first like day or two and then I'm done. And so then I just end up going out with a bunch of other friends and calling for them, which is still fun. As long as I'm out there, I guess it doesn't matter. Um, but I'm, I'm going to try to be a little bit more selective just so I don't end it too soon. But I've just been like getting cabin fever. Like it's been such a kind of cold, crappy spring here, at least for us here in Michigan that I've just been dying. Like since shed hunting season, I've not had anything terribly fun to go do outside. So I'm just like, I'm ready to get out there and do some stuff. I've been scouting, doing some work like that, but I want to be out there hunting. So I'm excited for that. I'm very excited. And then when do you start your uh, Bassmaster tournaments? (laughs) No Bassmaster tournaments this year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But I will be trout fishing here. And, dude, I'm going to be heading out to Idaho in like five or six weeks, I think. So you're going to Idaho for one month and Montana for one month? Yes. Yes. So son of a gun. I know. I'm very excited. I'm very excited about that. So counting down the days for all that good stuff. But yeah. uh, but I'm thinking we should shut it down because you might be able to tell I'm very stuffed up. I've got yep. a cold, so I think I need to take some medicine, and uh, I'm going to be going to bed kind of early tonight. Sounds good. <laughs> so uh, let's wrap this sucker up. And before you guys go, just a reminder to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already yet. Check out Dan's podcast, The Nine Figure Chronicles, and also the brand-new revamped 2.0 version of what was once called the Whitetail Q&A podcast, now called the 100% Wild podcast. That first episode is dropping online this week, so make sure you subscribe to check that out. Other than that, I want to say thank you to our partners who helped make this podcast possible. So big thank you to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Maven Optics, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And finally, thank you all for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Hopefully it's got you stoked to do some turkey hunting. And if you haven't gone turkey hunting before, hopefully this will give you that little push out the door to give it a try. So thanks again. Good luck hunting and stay wired to hunt.